We'll be continuing today in 2 Corinthians. We're at the end of chapter 4, looking at verse 16, 17, and 18 today. So if you would open with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we'll be looking at it in just a moment. But have you ever noticed that life can be a bit hard sometimes? Lots of difficulties, lots of struggles, lots of trials. I remember as a young atheist in college hearing a poem, a slightly different version than the original, but I'm going to read it. It says, When things go wrong as they sometimes will, in the road you're trudging seems all uphill. When funds are low and debts are high, when you want to smile but you have to sigh, when care is pressing down a bit, Rest as you must, but do not quit. That was a poem by Edgar Gus, the opening part. I'm not going to read all of it. But it's, it's a quaint poem, but it makes a point, and we've all been there. You know, the weight of everything adds up over time, and we feel like just giving up. We lose heart. This section gives us three reasons why we should not lose heart. But we tend to lose heart. The nihilist that I mentioned before puts it a little differently. Life is a doomed journey of misery and loneliness punctuated by moments of extreme suffering and ending in total annihilation, they hope. Well, that's not true. Life is harsh, and really even more so for the Christian. Paul says, if in Christ we have hope only in this life, we are of all men to be most pitied, 1 Corinthians 15, 19. We suffer more than the rest because we give up some of the pleasures of this world for Christ and we suffer persecutions and trials from the world and the devil and the flesh in this life because of our faith. And so if we hope only here, we're going to lose heart. And we'll look today at some encouragement not to lose heart because Paul says we do not lose heart. But let us read the whole chapter to get the context. Second Corinthians chapter 4, I'll just read the whole thing. Uh, I'll read from 7 on. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He's talking about the gospel and the glories of it. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carry in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since you have the same spirit of faith according to what was written, I believed, and I, so I spoke. We also believe, and so we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with him into his presence. For it is for all of your sake, so that the grace extends to more and more people that may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. <laughs> so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction 
is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the encouragements we see in this passage. We know, Lord, that we are afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, caring about the death of your Son in our bodies. And we know, Lord, that at times it can be seen too much and that we tend to lose heart. And as we look, Lord, at this passage where Paul admonishes us, we do not lose heart. Pray that you would encourage our hearts to take encouragement from it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, verse 16 starts off with, we do not lose heart. That is the purpose of what he says after this. Given all of these things we just read, given the, the sufferings, the afflictions, the being cry, uh, being afflicted, being perplexed, being persecuted, being struck down, caring about the death of Christ in our lives as examples, and being persecuted for the faith and all the things that we suffer. And he gives us here three reasons not to lose heart. And the first one is here in verse 16. There's another in verse 17 and another in verse 18. And we'll look at those one by one. He says, we do not lose heart because our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Our outer self is wasting away. You, you might, one, might ponder, what is outer self and inner self here? What's he talking about? In my reading, I saw Martin Luther wrote about this. And he points it out, and I'll just quote him rather than giving you my own definition. He said, man is composed of a twofold nature, spirit and body. In regards to the spiritual nature, which they name the soul, he is called a spiritual inward new man. Regarding the bodily nature, as they name the flesh, it is called the fleshly outward old man. The apostle speaks of this in 2 Corinthians 4.16, which we're looking at. There are outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. The result of this is that the same man, these two men, are opposed to one another. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these two are opposed to each other, Galatians 5.17. Man has both a body and a soul. And you might hear some have said it has a body, a soul, and a spirit. It comes from the pagan Greeks who give a different interpretation and understanding of reality. But in the scriptures, we see a body and a soul. And we see that the, the two uh, are different from... Plato. Plato had the soul being the understanding and the feelings, the spirit being reason and conscience, and kept them separate. Your conscience and your understanding are two different parts of you. But in the Bible, soul and spirit are used pretty much interchangeably uh, in many places. Both be, can be uh, both are saved. First Corinthians five five and First Peter one nine. 
use them that way. Uh, both are used for people who have died. Luke twenty four thirty seven, Revelation six nine. And so we understand they're they're the same thing, they're just being looked at from different perspectives. Most theologians try to divide them uh, anyway, that the soul is generally man's spirit when viewed as residing in a man. And the spirit is viewed as what belongs to God. And so most of the time when spirit is used, it's used of the person separate from the body or in relationship to it, going to God or belonging to God or God doing something with it. But not always. Anyway, the point being, we have our outer self, our fleshly being, and our inner self, our spirit that would go to God. So when our body goes to the grave, our spirit goes to God. There are only those two in mind in Scripture. So our outer self, he says, is wasting away. Since the world and all that in it has been cursed, and our body being part of the world, it's included in that curse, and included in all the miseries of this life. Now think of when God cursed the ground because of Adam. One of the things he said to him, from dust you were formed and dust you will return. You know, we're doomed to die and to return to the dust of the earth. We don't get to live on in this body forever. Paul mentions these miseries of this life repeatedly in his writings, and particularly in chapter 11 of this book, you think about it, his his sufferings both of persecution and of lack of what he needs and just the miseries that come with being in a world that's cursed. Animals, he says, in danger from beasts. The animals are will eat humans because of men's sin and curse. Our outward circumstances of life tend to be very poor, very despicable, especially for Christians when you compare them to the perfections of heaven, or the perfection of the Garden of Eden. We're often in a distressed condition because of our sickness, hunger, thirst, nakedness, lack of the necessities of life. Our bodies are worn out by fatigue, by labor, by sorrow. As they say, our earthly tabernacles are teetering on the brink of collapse and destruction at any moment. More so the older you get, but for some people, even when they're young, as we were praying this morning, a newborn child of only two valves, two set, two chambers of his heart or her heart. Yeah, these sufferings, these sorrows, these trials can really weigh down on us. Uh, when we think about all of the circumstances Paul has listed in this book, yeah, that can really, if we had to live that life, really rob us of our hope. We can lose heart in the Christian life, the Christian walk, and say, what's the point? But in verse 16, he gives us a reason for our support. Our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self, our spiritual side, is being renewed day by day. Our inner self, our spirit, is the source of our regeneration, and it is the Spirit of God who is the one who renews us. Paul wrote Titus that he saves us not because of works done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. 
And so we are cleansed of our sin through regeneration. We're given that new heart and that new spirit. And we are renewed in that image of God. It is our soul that has been saved by God. Peter writes, so you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. You rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. It is not the outer man that is being saved, but the inner man. He already alluded to this back in chapter 3, verse 2, where he speaks to them of the Corinthians being the written proof of Paul's ministry by having the Spirit on their heart, in their heart, changing them, transforming them. And that was the evidence that his ministry was true because the Spirit of God was transforming them through his ministry. What does it look like for us to have the Spirit of God in us? Now, with all the believers, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Now, what does it look like to be a Christian? We have ourselves being transformed, and we offer ourselves to God to live for him. Paul admonishes us to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. It is corrupt through its deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness, Ephesians 4, 21-24. So we need to be renewed in the spirits of our minds, and not just once, but as an ongoing effort to be renewed day by day. As he's saying here in our passage, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Jesus puts it this way, My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, John fifteen eight through 10. We need to be abiding in the love of God through this transformation of our life and our heart and our obedience. It, it harkens back to the Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27 passage that promises us the new covenant where he will give us a new heart and put a new spirit in us, and he will move our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And he will put his spirit in us, and this is the key part, and cause us to walk in his statutes and be careful to obey his rules. This idea of being renewed in the image of God, of being renewed day by day, is the idea carried out, promised there, that we will... Be careful to walk in his statutes and obey his rules. If he has put a spirit in us and we belong to him, and we know his spirit is in us because it is causing us to walk in his ways. It is the encouragement, the desire in our heart to be obedient to him. Not, not begrudgingly, but joyfully. Paul, <clears throat> Paul tells the Corinthians later in this book, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, 
Examine yourselves to see whether you're in your faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize about this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. He calls them to make this, what he's talking about, a test. You know, I've said the transformation of the lives of the people of Corinth, the church of Corinth, is evidence that the Spirit is working through me and that my ministry is true. Here he's telling us that, you know, we don't lose heart because we see this work in our own lives. And at the end, towards the end of the book, he says, test yourselves, see if the Spirit is in you, if Christ is in you. Do you not realize that he must be in you? What does Paul mean that Christ is in you? Well, he wrote to the Romans concerning this, talking about the flesh versus the Spirit, and he says, you're not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, it does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though your body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give your mortal bodies life through his Spirit who dwells in you, Romans 8, 9 through 11. John says, we know we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his Spirit. This, This abiding of God's Spirit in us is what transforms us. It's what renews us in our passage, in our verse right now, day by day. Because we have that Spirit of God that he promised as part of the new covenant to be given to us. And we should be renewed in this inner self by the Holy Spirit. This is the evidence of our salvation and the thing we should take our hope in when our hope in the world is struggling. So we do not lose heart even though our outer body is wasting away, our life is coming to an end. People change a lot when they become aware of their own mortality as they age. But to Christian, that should not be so. We should always understand and always be living for that day, living for eternity, and living for God. And that is how we see this renewal. And that was the desire of David. Remember when Nathan the prophet went to him? He sings in Psalm 51 about that wonderful psalm, verses 9 through 12. He prays to God, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. That was his desire a new heart. He was already saved. He's not talking about salvation again, but renew that right spirit within me. Fix my heart. Give me a new heart. My heart is still corrupt. That was his desire. He wanted a willing spirit, willing to do what God required and what God wanted. And that should really be the prayer and the, the song of all believers. It stumbled badly and he sought forgiveness and renewal by God that he might walk willingly and obedience to God. So, when our heart and our hope are wavering, because we realize that we will go the way of all flesh, that we are struggling this life, that there is no hope for our bodies, that our miseries are too many and too much, we should look not to our health, not to our prosperity, not to our life, but look to 
God's Spirit working in our hearts, transforming us day by day. That gives us the hope that it's not about the now, here, and now. I don't need to worry. God is with me. God is in me. In verse 17, we go on to see that we must not lose heart, but trust really in God's promises. Verse 17 starts off this light and momentary affliction. I I always, when I first read that, becoming a Christian, wondered, what is he talking about? Life, light, and affliction never go together in my mind. There's no light affliction. Is Paul mocking our sufferings? Certainly not. Is he suggesting that my cancer, my multiple sclerosis, my Parkinson's, my injuries, my disabilities, my persecutions, that somehow they're insignificant? In word, no. Paul understands better than most what it means to suffer. And he understands the comfort that comes from God and from knowing God. Going back to the first chapter, right? The first thing he says after his introduction, chapter 1, verse 3, Bless be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. He's not mocking the suffering of others. He shares in their suffering, and his sufferings, I think, exceed that from what most of us have to suffer. He's the, Remember he said, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, never be wise, in your own sight, Romans twelve fifteen and 60. Now, he understands the suffering. He feels for the suffering. He calls us to comfort those who need comfort in suffering. He isn't mocking. Think about all his afflictions as well that he lists in this book. Flogged five times, 39 lashes. That's enough almost to kill you. That's brutal. Beaten with rods three times. That was to break their bones. Stoned once, that was to kill. Often in prison, often in danger from man and from beast, hungry, thirsty, cold, drift at sea, constantly under the sentence of death. Do any of those seem light to you? But he calls them light and momentary. How can they be considered light? Well, said it before, I'll say it again, think what we deserve. We all know the verses, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. It is appointed to man to die once, and after that comes judgment, Hebrews 9.27. And he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, Matthew 25.41. In hell, where the worm does not die in the fire, is not quenched. Mark nine forty eight, And the smoke from the torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Revelation fourteen eleven. You know, it's a matter of perspective. The things we suffer in this life are light and momentary compared to the torment of hell for all eternities, which is due us for our sin. No rest day or night, the worm doesn't die, the fire is not quenched. Horrible. Yes, 
what we suffer in this life is light and momentary. Of course, when you're suffering, it doesn't seem like it's momentary. It seems like an eternity, even though even if it's only a few minutes. I remember when I was reading The Hobbit years ago, being struck by a quote, and I want to quote from the book. It's a strange thing, but things that are good have and have days that are good. I'm sorry. It's a strange thing, but things that are good to have and days that are good to spend are soon told about, but not much to listen to. Well, things that are uncomfortable, palpitating, and even gruesome may make a good deal and take a deal more telling anyway. The Hobbit. Suffering is hard to forget. It's hard to ignore. It's, it, it seems more significant to us, more important to us, more interesting to rehash in our mind than all the good days that we have. I remember in marriage counseling, Dr. Fine said that you know, love keeps no list of wrongs. We know that from First Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Love no, keeps no list of wrongs. We have a tendency to be able to remember all the wrongs that have been done to us by somebody. But can you remember all the good things that have been done by that person? He says, it's a wise thing in marriage to give a list of your spouse's rights, the good things they have done, because you tend to forget them. And when you're focused on the wrong, you can go and read through the list of rights and help you to fix your brain. In our life, we should be the same way. You know, these things are not significant. They are not great. We need, we need to keep them from getting out of control in our thought life. They are short. They are brief. They are momentary. They are nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory. They are nothing compared to the good things we have in life that we quickly forget. Pleasant days and pleasant things. Quickly forgotten. But we also need to put them in perspective. Momentary, you know, maybe you're born with a debilitating, miserable disease and you live your whole life with it. I knew a man who had the, um, the loud ringing in his ears. He was a, knew him in college. Had it since he was a baby. Painful. He would often hit his head trying to make it stop. Nothing could fix it. No drugs, nothing. Had to live his whole life with that. Sometimes, you know, it's like somebody screaming in your ear comes and goes in, in magnitude, but he, he lived his whole life with that. Somebody may live with cancer for a decade before they succumb to it. Uh, somebody with multiple sclerosis may see themselves slowly fading and dying over the course of decades. You know, we think it's a long, long time of suffering, some of these, but compared to eternity, it's brief and momentary. And hell lasts forever. O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths. My life is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing do they toil and turmoil. Man heaps up wealth, but does not know who will gather. 
I know, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from my transgressions. Do not let me be the scorn of the fool. Psalm 39, 4-8. The point here is we need to make that view of our suffering like the view of our life. Our life now is fleeting. It's but a breath. Eternity is forever. Yes, it is brief. It is momentary compared to eternity. It is the small bit of work you need to do for the great prize enduring this life. It is preparing us for that eternal weight of glory. What a wonderful phrase and what a wonderful encouragement. Right now, our outer self is wasting away. It's dying. It will return to dust as promised. However, we have these great and great and precious promises from God, from his word, to keep us from losing hope, losing heart. Paul had already shared one of them with the Corinthians. He wrote them in chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 57. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Talking about our physical body, which is wasting away, which will die. He's speaking of death. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, referring to the death of the body, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Of death, where is your victory? Of death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In that passage, in that whole chapter, the, the glories that await us in eternity, immortality. You know, there will be no more suffering. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more misery. There will be no more persecution. None of the trials and troubles that we have in this life will come to us. So when we're thinking about, oh, you know, my mortal body is wasting away. I'm, I'm suffering afflictions, and these afflictions are weighing down on me. Think of the eternal weight of glory which is ours to come, that is promised to those who persevere. The glory which is ours in Christ is infinitely weightier than what we have now, than what we understand today. But it's beyond all comparison. Paul writes in Romans 8, or I mean in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10, when no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But the things God has revealed to us of the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Think about it. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, the heart of man has never imagined the glories that God has prepared for us. Can I write about them only in that way? You know, we have such great things waiting for us. We don't need to worry about the afflictions of our day. 
when we lose hearts, we lose hope for hope in our heart are wavering because of our afflictions, our struggles, our sufferings. We can look to God's promises about eternity, the wonderful things said about it. We'll be in a place where there's no nothing to cause us to stumble, nothing to cause us to suffer, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more regrets. What a great and wonderful promise that we should not lose heart about what happens now. It's just a little while. Our life is but a breath, and eternity is so glorious. Lastly, in verse 18, we do not lose heart because we're focused on reality. Now, I may be using this slightly different than than the, the godless use it. Reality is what is real. I remember as a atheist and a godless man saying, what is real is what I can see, what I can touch, what I can move, what I can understand. As a Christian, I know reality is there is a God in the spiritual realm that we do not understand and cannot see and cannot touch and cannot interact with, but we know is there because we know God and we know the effect he's had on our life and we believe what he has written And so my view of reality is eternity in heaven. What we see now and what the people of this world call reality is temporary and transient, to use the words of our passage. And we lose sight of this eternal weight of glory, and we might lose heart. But the Spirit within us bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children. We don't want to forget that, and we don't want to forget what we have. What is reality? The things. What is the things that are seen? Reality to the worldly, things that we can see and touch and all that. Remember what John says about them? You don't love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that is of the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, our property, our possessions, our place, they're not from the Father, from the, but from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires. Whatever does the will of God abides forever. First John two fifteen through 17. The things that are seen are passing away. The things of the world. That, and no, it's not just material possessions and money. It's our place in life and our pride in that. What are the things then that are unseen, the spiritual things, our eternal reward? Ultimately, the things of faith. That's Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Trusting in a reward in heaven, trusting in an eternity, trusting in the new heaven and the new earth and the promises that go with it, that is faith, and that are, those are the things that are not seen. And those are the things that encourage us that even though you know, our health may fail, our money may fail, our physical our ability to earn the living might fail, the things that don't, we don't see are the things that are real. They are eternally real. Just because we don't see them yet doesn't make them unreal. We, we by faith, know the reality of them. 
And that knowing reality of them by faith gives us then the encouragement to not lose heart, not looking for the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. Because the things that are seen are transient, and the unseen things are eternal. We may not in this life get to enjoy all the things of this life. The Old Testament is full of promises that God's people will be blessed and will have these things, but it's not a guaranteed universal promise that you'll always have a reward in this life. Because some men and women, people, he appoints to suffer. Some he appoints to live in poverty, that they might give him the glory later, and he might reward them later. And that reward is on the scene today. Remember what Jesus said in a parable about us not being able to enjoy the things of this world in this life. He said a rich man had land that produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? He said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be married. But God said to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. The things you've prepared, what will they be? Whose will they be? Luke twelve sixteen through 20. <clears throat> the things of this world, as, he's, as Paul says in our passage, they're transient. They come and go. I shared before about that man who built his own cabin. We enjoyed watching him build his cabin and his garden and the hunt and he was doing it because he lost the things of the world and he wanted to have a smaller amount so he could hold on to it more tightly and be confident that he had the strength to keep the things of the world. But even those are transient. And they may also be lost. Anyone who's ever had a garden knows how easy it is to lose your food supply. You get a bad insect infection, you get a, a plague of some disease or some fungus, and it's gone. As we say, here today, gone tomorrow. We're told by Peter that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and goodness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the earthly bodies will melt as they burn. According to the promises, we are waiting for this new heaven and new earth, in which white righteousness dwells, Second Peter 3, 10 for 13. That's why Jesus says, that's, the rea- that's reality. Right? This world will be destroyed, the things of the world will be destroyed, all that we have done and said in All of our works will be exposed before God and judged. Therefore, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. That is what it comes down to. Why can we not lose hope? because we're not focused on the things of this world that can be destroyed by moth and rust and thieves. We put ourselves in treasure in heaven where we can't see it, but where we know by faith, by confidence in God, 
that it is there for us. And so we don't lose hope even when they steal, even when they destroy, even when we lose what we have in this world. Paul does speak of this idea at greater length in Romans. He says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves were the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly, that we may wait eagerly the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see and wait for it with patience, we will wait for it with patience. Romans 8, 18 through 25. <laughs> so when our heart and our hope are wavering because of the struggles with this present world, struggles with things and needs and all of that, we don't lose hope because we're really looking at the things that are promised in eternity and we're waiting patiently for them in full confidence. And that is why we do not lose hope. Isaiah wrote, and we read it earlier, Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint nor grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah forty twenty eight through 31 So in our heart and hope are wavering because we realize we'll eventually go the way of all flesh. We do not lose hope. We can look to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, know that we are saved, and know that eternal life awaits us. When our heart and hope waver because of affliction, we can look to the great, many great and wonderful promises found in the Word, especially promises of eternity. When our heart and hope are wavering due to the struggles of this present world, we look to the things that are promised in eternity and wait patiently for them in full confidence. So that is why he can say, yet we do not lose heart. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we know sometimes that our feeble hearts are filled with doubts, filled with pains and sorrows and regrets, weighed down by the misery of this life, weighed down by our own sins. And yet, Lord, we need to take heart, to not lose our hope, to not lose our heart, but to trust in all the wonderful promises you have made to us in your word. Trust that you are with us, that we belong to you. Trust that we will be with you in eternity. 
trust that we will have glory and grace in all the things that we need in eternity. Bless us, Lord, that we might focus on living for that day and not for this, and so that we do not lose heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.